and we're back. Stripe Show Podcast on a Wednesday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Really excited about this podcast here today. Froggy, I know he's not here. Froggy Wednesdays, it's coming back. Starting next week, Froggy Wednesday, he'll be back. We've got all kinds of great players slated for you on Wednesday. Insight to the best players in the world on the PGA Tour, but you're going to have to deal with me again today on a Wednesday. We got a special guest. Really excited about this one, Trevor Immelman. You see him on TV, Golf Channel analyst for the Golf Channel and CBS, and also he is the team captain uh, for the international team this year, the President's Cup, which will be played at Quail Hollow in September. So let's get right at it here. He's waiting on the other line, fired up, the Masters champion, Trevor Immelman. And joining me now, the, the Masters champion back in 2008, won the Western Open back in 2006 as well. And fun fact for you, the runner-up in both of those events, guy by the name of Tiger Woods, the Tiger Whispers joining us, Trevor Immelman, how you doing? Hey, Travis. Yeah, that's the first time I've been called the Tiger Whisperer. I don't know if I'll go all the way with you there. But uh, it's kind of weird that, that uh, he finished second in both of those tournaments. But uh, yeah, man, great to be joining you and talking some golf here in the new year. Yeah. You know, it's always it always feels like, Trevor, like, okay, I'm a little fatigued on golf. These guys play so much golf, professional golf. The tour is huge. And then... I'm like, I need a break. Why doesn't golf like football? I need a couple months off. And then I go through a week without it. And then I can't wait for it to come back on again. It's like, I'm, I feel like I'm completely refreshed after like 10 days. Yeah. Isn't it a weird sport like that? It's kind of like when you're out playing and you play terrible on the front nine and you've thrown a couple of clubs and you're so damn angry and you say you're going to quit the game. And then all of a sudden on number 10, you pipe a drive down the middle and you think you're back. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the same principle. It this, is. This, this game, once you fall in love with it at whatever age, uh, it just grabs you. I mean, it grabs you down deep in your soul, and it's just impossible to walk away. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that makes it so damn cool. And it's, it's great to see, uh, see the participation levels getting more and more and uh, seeing more kids get into it and, uh, and start to understand it's a game of a lifetime. So. Yeah, man. It's just the absolute best. Yeah, it is. That's well said. And, uh, you know, a guy that did a lot for the game of golf participation, and I think more specifically for the growth of the PGA Tour is Tiger. I mentioned him mm. finishing runner-up to you and both of your wins. Let's start there. We saw him at the PNC Championship there uh, with Charlie. It seems like to me, Trevor, that Tiger is setting the bar very low. You know, he was very frank on, man, I just don't have any distance. I don't have any yeah. speed. I'm going to gonna go out there and hope that Charlie hits his driver well. And gosh, it made it sound like the, the guy was going to bun his driver out there like 210 or something. And then he goes out there and he just blows everybody's expectations away. And he's, you know, he hits his driver a couple times past JT. I'm like, what am I watching here? This is crazy. <laughs> Tiger yeah. looks terrific how did you see it yeah look i mean you, he's no dummy he knows exactly what it takes 
in order to be successful in this sport. And part of that, particularly if you can have longevity, like players like he has had, is, is low expectations all the time. It's just just be able to keep things quiet um, and, and then let your clubs do the talking for you. And, and I think a lot of it also was because he had been out on the golf course so little, he wanted to just feel it out and see exactly how his body was going to be able to respond. And, uh, you know, it's just, just like anything. Anytime Tiger signs up for a tournament or pitches up at a tournament, really, in any capacity, people sit up and pay attention. I mean, in the middle of my holiday, and there I was watching him and Charlie go at it in, uh, in a, a parent-child tournament, and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a, a massive amount of respect for what Tiger Woods has done for our sport uh, and an appreciation uh, for how he picked the ball up from the guys that came before him and took it to places, the sport, took it to places that, that really maybe we never even dreamed or thought was possible. And, uh, you know, so I, I have an amazing appreciation for that and extremely thankful that my career coincided with when he was in his prime mm. and so i was able to uh get a front row seat to that watch it be a part of it see how everything exploded and you know here he is in his mid-40s um after all this uh, adversity he's had with his body and surgeries uh having to rebuild and redesign and come back uh, with these uh, different issues he's had with his body it's just damn amazing. It is. And to see those shots that he was hitting and how good his swing looked and how good his short game was. I mean, he was hitting wedge shots that were just peppering the flag. He's making all these putts, um, you know, in and around eight, nine, ten feet, holding out beautifully. And uh, it, it, it gave me a lot of hope. You know, now that I'm in the broadcasting side, uh, those, those first events that he plays, Whenever that may be, hopefully sooner rather than later, it's just going to be pandemonium. It is going to be amazing. The whole world of sport will pay attention. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, uh, that, that, that's a lot of fun. Do you think there's a chance at Augusta? you think there's a real chance? Well, I learned long ago never to count him out. So I'm always, I'm always thinking there's a chance. Yeah. I, I remember sitting on the desk with Randall Chambly and, Frank Nobolo and David Duval over at Golf Channel uh, back in the day you know, when Tiger had the yips with his chipping. And I was adamant that he would come back. I was adamant that he would figure the technique out and then be able to get over that. And I was adamant that he would win again. And, uh, and he did. And he won the Masters again mm-hmm. in, in his 40s, which is amazing particularly <laughs> with where our sport is now with how young our sport has gotten with our superstars nowadays they're all in their mid to late 20s and uh, and there he was taking another generation of players down at the uh, biggest venue in our sport so you know i've I, I learned long ago not to count this dude out and from what i saw there now sure look he's in a cart most of the day you could see at times he's limping um Augusta National is a massive walk. It's extremely hilly and undulating. Uh, how much work uh, 
is he even able to do to work on his stamina, work on his cardio, uh, pain management, to be able to hang in there with all of that? Time will tell. But, you know, if you could somehow just, you know, if we could dream for a second and find a way for him not to have to walk and just be able to hit, make every swing and hit every shot, yeah, I think he absolutely could compete well there and possibly mm-hmm. win there again. But when you start to factor all the different things in, the, the practice rounds, the four consecutive days of competition, how big of a walk that is, uh, all those kinds of things, is there going to be weather which will make the course softer and maybe harder to walk, a bit more of a slog for his game? You know, those are all the intangibles that go into trying to win a golf tournament and trying to win a major championship and why it makes it so damn difficult is all the ancillary stuff that starts to get added in. But uh, from just, if we just took everything out and just looked at his game, the first time he came back being extremely rusty, he was still damn good. Yeah. And I think as he has an opportunity to clean some of that stuff up, uh, it's going to be just an awesome ride for us to see if he can, fool us all again and and uh and turn the, the world of sport on its head again yeah it could be the most covered masters ever you think about it hideki you know the japanese media that's going to be there as he defends mm. and then mm. now you get tiger if he's there i mean it's just going to be off the chart and there's so much there as you were talking i was writing some notes down and thinking about augusta national and how guys can really play well once you know how to play that course and it fits your game you can play well in your 50s we've seen you know freddie couples still plays well there bernhard longer will make the cut and you know it just seems like there's a real chance tiger can still win the masters if he can get his stamina back up to par and you know tiger and i'll transition here to my my next question here is tiger kind of put the stake in the ground when it comes to some of these other leagues that have shown up Trevor over the last couple of years, um, the PGL, the SGL, two different leagues. The, the, uh, super golf league is the more Saudi Arabia back money that Greg Norman is heading up. And then the PGL is a totally different entity. Um, and you know, Tiger put the stake in the ground and said, look, my legacy is with the PGA tour and I'm not going anywhere where others, you know, you've got them going and they're going to play in this event in February. Phil's been out over there once before, but it just kind of brings up, we've talked about it on the podcast in the past that, you know, generally in life and in business, competition is a good thing. And the PGA Tour really doesn't have any competition. I mean, they've kind of gobbled up the European Tour. Now it's the DP World Tour so there's really no competition out there. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a couple people at the table, and it's forced the tour to kind of relook at themselves and kind of reassess their business model. And they've already started to make some changes to it. I mean, yes, opportunities are going to be for every member, but you see, Trevor, now the needle moving towards taking care of more of the superstars how do you view this? Is this competition at the end of the day? Do you think it's going to be a good thing for the tour and perhaps even strengthen the tour in the end? Well, it sure has been an interesting time uh, following all of this. Uh, I would say that the, the PGA Tour 
I, I, I'm with you. I think competition is always good. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes everything stronger and it makes uh, makes everybody a little tougher as well, I would say. And I think the PGA Tour has done a good job navigating their way through this um, and and paying attention to what their players and their superstars have been saying and making some adjustments on the run. And I think also when you look at the players, I think the players have, have played this quite well and used this opportunity uh, and leverage to their advantage as well. Mm-hmm. So I think we're getting to a point now from, you know, from my viewpoint, and I'm certainly not plugged into every little piece of it, but from my viewpoint, uh, it seems like things are coming together nicely for the PGA Tour and for the top players, and they're starting to really be comfortable with the position that things are in and with the way things are moving with the PGA Tour. And, uh, you know, I anticipate that just getting even bigger and stronger. Like you say, they've they've been so big and powerful for so long now and, and been one of the only games in town. You know, the European Tour has uh, you know, got some good spots as well where they have big tournaments and a lot of people like to go over and play. But now that combination of them joining up with the PGA Tour in a, in a sense, has probably made both entities stronger. Yeah. And if we ever can get to a point to where the schedule can really start to to dial in and, and meld together, like we're already seeing with the Scottish Open, for instance, how uh, that's going to be, and, and uh, I believe here in the US, it's going to be Barbasol, and I think there's one other, mm-hmm. um, where you're going to get the mixture of European tour players and PGA tour players at all three events. Uh, I think if if you're able to start to meld all of that together uh, in a way that makes sense schedule-wise for these top players, it could be something that's really special. So it's an interesting time right now. I think everybody has played their cards quite well, particularly the players. Like I said, I think they've leveraged this this situation to to their advantage, and it's going to be interesting to see how the next few months pan out. Yeah. Speaking of the PGA tour, I'm curious. I want to ask this now before I forget, cause I'll get going here and we, we start talking about these players that are playing this week that you have a lot of insight on um, is that, I mean, there's no question the game has changed the, the game that we're watching on TV. I mean, we know you, gotta, you know, get the ball in the hole. We get that, but how they're doing it um, is, is a little bit different today than it was say back in your era 10 15 years ago your era perhaps could be kind of more of the fairways and green kind of mentality where now it's you know let's hit as far as we can you know let's mm. let's get it up there as far as we can and we'll we'll sacrifice perhaps a little bit of accuracy within reason but we're very much um in the distance era give us from your perspective trevor who's played in all this and has seen it up close some examples of maybe how the game has really changed as we move into 2022. Yeah, I think there's a few different areas where it has changed or evolved, uh, gotten, gotten, well, I actually hesitate to say better, maybe not better in all aspects. Yeah. Um, but you know, the technology has improved dramatically in the last 20 years. Uh, so players are able to take advantage with that 
really dial that into each player's individual strengths and weaknesses, work around a lot of issues um, that they could have in their game to where they're not glaring weaknesses and they can just hang in there. Um, and so uh, we've seen better play because of that. And also, I think we've seen a lot better play and better decision-making because of all the data that these players have at their fingertips now. And there's so many smart people that you can rely on as a tour player now to help you measure things and really give you clarity of mind in certain instances in a tournament to where you know that you're making the correct play percentage-wise, the correct decision percentage-wise. And what that does for an athlete is it gets rid of doubt. And particularly for a golfer, when you're out there stranded on your own with no teammates, when you can start to strip away some doubt and 100% believe in these decisions you're making, it does a lot for you. It does a lot for your confidence and, and uh, for your execution. So as these players have gotten, quote, unquote, smarter with all this data and knowledge they have at their fingertips, they're able to make better decisions. They're able to rely on their equipment because the equipment has gotten so much better. And, um, you know, then when you go to the next step, which is the way they're preparing for tournaments uh, and the way they are practicing now, mm. along the same lines, they're able to, to really dial stuff in and, and know exactly what is going on when they're playing their best and when they just, you know, off their games a little bit, what they need to try and get back towards numbers-wise with all of these measuring devices and, and tracking devices. Uh, you know, the best thing is always to know what your swing is doing, what the ball does when you're playing your best. Once you have that blueprint, uh, if you're a step or two away from there, you always know what you're trying to get back to. You don't have to run down a rabbit hole and maybe waste a couple months or even get lost down there like we've seen from a lot of players. And I would even, you know, throw my, my own name into that category as well. Mm -hmm. They're able to really, really know and understand with their instructors now what they do when they play their best. And so it's much easier to continue to either stay at that level, which we already know is very high. You know, you look at a Morikawa, Thomas, a DJ, all these players, McElroy, you know, do they actually need to get better? You know, everyone always says, well, you've got to keep getting better, keep getting better. You know, may maybe the guys at that level, they don't even need to get better. They just got to make sure they don't get worse. Mm. So make sure you don't waste time or do something silly in your technique or in the way that you're practicing to where all of a sudden you get worse. Just try and stay where you're at. You already know you're right there. You're winning two, three, four times a year. You're in the top five in the world. You're knocking on the door even when you're not winning. You know, these guys don't have to do too much. They've just got to not do something stupid, so to speak. And so the way they're able to prepare uh, and then make decisions during the tournament um, and rely on their equipment nowadays is absolutely massive. And, you know, even in other areas, when you think about the mental game, and I'd throw that in with the strategy bucket as well, uh, and then nutrition and all the other things, Athletes have just gotten smarter. It's just plain and simple. Um, you know, and they're able to 
to be able to make smarter decisions and understand exactly what's taking place when they're competing well at the highest level. And I think because of that, when you start to add all of those things together, it's why you're starting to see such incredible play from players when they are much younger. You know, when I joined the tour, and it's not crazy long ago, I turned pro in, in 99. Uh, it was unheard of to have a young player break through immediately. You know, think back to the late 90s when Tiger turned pro. And, he, you know, he was 20, 21 years old. And, you know, even the old timers on the tour at the time were like, well, you know, he's going to have to get some experience and he's going to have to figure out the courses and all of that. And when it took no time at all for him to break through and start winning PGA Tour events and start winning majors, it was, it was like a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. Nobody had really... Nobody could even quite comprehend it, even the best players at the time. But nowadays, that happens more and more and more and more. You look at Morikawa, you look at Wolf, you look how McElroy came through, Thomas, Speed, all of these guys, Sung J.M., Neiman. These guys are all in their uh, early 20s and immediately making an impact at the highest level. And that's the evidence of everything that I just spoke of. They're able to get much better, much sooner, because they don't waste time going down rabbit holes in different areas uh, and, and then possibly either stunting their growth, so to speak, or, or losing their confidence. Yeah. You know, if I had to build a that tour player where, okay, here's how I'm going to build him, knowing that I can't have everything. Like not everybody's going to be built like Tiger was or John Rahm is today. I mean, John has no weaknesses in his game. Most players, when you, that, when you look at them in comparison to other players, they have a weakness. Like, you know, Victor Hovland struggles with his short game, although it's getting a little bit better. JT struggled with his putting some last year. Um, You know, Spieth with his driver. You know, like there's a weakness to some degree, right? There's, there are some, a few, but very few. When you look at them statistically, it's like, that guy doesn't have any weaknesses. He has zero. He's great at everything. Patrick Cantlay is great at everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So understanding that, all right, I got to build this and I got to sacrifice some things here statistically. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to build this player and I, and I want speed. Number one, Uh, give me some speed. I need to hit it. 302 yards plus on average off the tee. Number two, and, I, and I'll sacrifice a little accuracy. I, you know, I can't be hitting it out of bounds, but I'm, you know, uh, reasonable accuracy, but but top third length. Second thing is give me, give me a controlled iron game. Someone who can control distance control is a very solid iron game. I want that to be my strength. I want to be a great iron player. Third just give me a reasonable short game. I don't need to be a great short game player. In fact, just I'll be middle of the pack. I'm fine being 90th or a hundredth on the PGA tour. And then finally with the putter, I, I give me an aggressive versus a defensive putter. I'm okay having bad weeks, but make sure I want to have some good weeks too. And if I can have those four speed controlled iron game, reasonable short game, aggressive putter, 
I feel like I would keep my card on the PGA tour. That's how I would build it. If I couldn't say, all right, well, just give me John Rom. I want John Rom's game, you know, but there's not, there's not very many John Rom. No, that's what, right. What would you, how would you change that? I get, what would you do there in today's, today's game there? Well, there's a few different formulas you can go by. Okay. Uh, I believe go to the Tiger model. Now, Tiger obviously had a lot of speed, uh, but he wasn't the best driver in his prime. You know, where he got everybody was he was re- like head and shoulders above the wrist, probably a full body length with uh, with approach play. His iron game was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then he had some short game to match with that. Uh, but he had this intangible performing under pressure, hitting the, being able to pull off the right shot at the right time, make the right putt at the right time. Uh, and, and that also counts for a lot. You know, I look at a guy like, like Colin Morikawa, for instance, right now. One of these youngsters that's really stepped up and and uh, done an incredible job in his first few few years on tour. And you know he's not a very good putter at all, but when he gets the opportunity to win a tournament and he gets in the hunt, he doesn't really miss putts. It's amazing. You look at him in the biggest tournaments under the most pressure at the PGA Championship on the West Coast, and then the Open last year. How clutch was that guy on the final nine of the tournament with the putter? Mm-hmm. We saw it at a uh, World Golf event last year as well with him. He has that intangible that is not taught. It's a gift where when he gets in the hunt, he turns that putter into a strength. Now, there's been a couple of times he's fallen over, remember when they came back at uh, Colonial. I think he missed that like three-footer against Daniel Berger in the playoff. But it's been few and far between. You know, when that guy gets his, his a little sniff of it, man, he just is able to hit clutch shot after clutch shot. And so that's, a, that's another thing that you can see from certain players. Mm-hmm. Um, and Morikawa is one of those. But yeah, driving distance, if, you, if you're looking at that formula we were talking about earlier, is become a massive part of the professional game. And accuracy absolutely has slipped by the wayside a little bit. I think part of that is because week in and week out, they play pretty soft venues on the PGA Tour. Mm. And when greens get soft, angles don't play as big of a part. Uh, and also then if you're coming from the rough with a mid to a short iron, it doesn't really matter as much because the green is so receptive. So when you think during the year when they go to places like um, Sony or Riviera or Bay Hill or Hilton Head, uh, Innisbrook, all of a sudden now as the greens start getting firmer, a little smaller, more bouncy. Now it matters a bit more for you to be in the right side of the fairway and in the fairway so that you can control your approach with enough spin to be able to get the ball close enough that we have a decent shot at making a few putts. And But I would say for the most part, 75 to 80% of the venues 
uh, it's just so soft that the driving accuracy doesn't matter as much. And so, uh, you know, like we spoke about earlier, guys are able to, through all the data and through understanding all of this, able to get so much smarter, so much quicker. And as they start to start to notice these patterns and trends, they can adjust their games accordingly. And uh, so that's one of the things uh, we see out there now. But there's a few different formulas. Um, yeah. It's interesting when you when you look through the years, you know, you see guys that are are amazing putters mm-hmm. and and solid iron players. That which we we saw from Speed when he was going through his purple patch, he was one of the better iron players and the best putter from twenty to thirty five feet, maybe that we've ever seen. Uh, and then you've got other guys like Dustin Johnson that when they've played their best, they're just automatic off the tee out there at 320, 330, 340. Great iron player, doesn't need to putt all that well to win. We see the same thing from McElroy. He can just obliterate a field off of the tee, be a you know fairly average iron player, fairly average putter, and win the tournament. That's how good his, his tee ball is. Uh, and so there's there's... There's, there's different formulas of, of what make guys great and how they're able to get the job done. But that intangible, man, that I was talking about with Woods and, and Morikawa, and you see it from all these greats, it is, it's something that cannot be described. It's a gift that athletes have where they are able to do abnormal stuff when, when it really matters. Mm-hmm. And for me... Uh, as as a, a past pro athlete and somebody that just lives for sport, it is so exciting. It doesn't matter whether I'm watching Formula One or you know NFL on, on Sundays or NBA or hockey or any of the stuff, golf, rugby, any of the stuff out there. When you see athletes pull off amazing stuff when it really counts, I mean, it just gives me goosebumps. It is it's just awesome to be able to watch it yeah i'm changing that to situational putting i think that's a really good word situational because we talk about situational football or situational baseball you know he's got a bunt here and move him over like but in golf there's situational golf too and i think like finau struggled with that a little bit he you look at him and you're like hey wait a minute he's only won one time how is that even possible you know because he well he struggled a little bit situationally now he figured that out at the end of last year and um there's some guys that come to mind that you know morikawa like you said situationally is a bulldog he has win equity i think cantley after last year starting to fall into that i think victor hovland as he continues to get better with some of the short game stuff, I, I think he has it. I really do. I think he has that it factor, that win equity. We've seen it from JT. We've seen it from Spieth. We've seen it from Bryson. And, and as you look at the official world golf rankings, the name that kind of jumps out to me that maybe has struggled a little bit, and this is hypercritical understanding he's won four times is Xander. And he, because he's so incredibly talented player, world-class player, his last win two years ago to the day at Century, he wins the gold medal. That's why he's playing this week in, in, in Hawaii. But we've seen Xander situationally at times, you know, maybe kind of struggle just a little bit. And I know that's being hypercritical, but that win equity, that situational golf is, is really something. I think Sam Burns has some of it. 
Um, yeah. you know, he looks like he, he certainly has a little bit of it. Kepka certainly in his day has it. And, um, we'll have to see, um, how things play out this year on, on who can have that great season. Like we saw from, from Cantley. I mean, four wins on the PGA tour, my goodness. And then, uh, but, uh, John Rahm, obviously the huge season as well. Let's talk, um, president's cup here to finish up the pod. I, you're the captain this year, um, at quail hollow 259 days away. Did you know that Trevor? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I don't know if that's long or short. I'm still trying to figure that part out. <laughs> yeah. Time's coming at us fast, isn't it right now? My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So where do we start with this? I, let me, let me ask you this. How much time does it take as a captain? I've always, I've always wanted to ask this, right? You're the captain of the international team in the president's cup. You've known that for quite some time now. You're less than a year away. How much time do you dedicate to this? Just thinking about it, talking to players, vice captains, et cetera, et cetera. A lot. It's been a lot. It's been a lot more than I anticipated. That's for sure. Uh, part of that is my fault because I have wanted to change and enhance a number of things with our team. Uh, I wanted to, to actually get our team to operate like a team, get our team to operate like a sporting franchise. I thought that's one of the things that we really need to, needed to pick up with on the back of uh, everything that Ernie else got going to the 2019 President's Cup. So little things like getting social media channels up and running, being able to get content out there for uh, fans of international players all over the world so that they can follow and get to know these players better and better through the years. Um, stuff like that, getting being able to get merchandise out there and available for people who want to support our team, whether it be at the President's Cup or at normal PGA Tour events. If you're a, you know, you're a Joaquin Neiman fan and you buy an international hoodie or a t-shirt and you go out there, in all likelihood, he's going to notice that shield on, on you know, on your shirt uh, and, and really appreciate that. Uh, things like changing the qualification criteria. I uh, wanted to make sure that we were in a position to absolutely identify the eight best automatic qualifiers and uh, so put, made some tweaks and changes in that as well so like i said a lot of the things that have taken up my time were self-induced because it was uh, things that i really wanted to pull off before this president's cup uh, came around at the end of 22 but yeah it's been busy yeah it's been a lot of fun it's been a fantastic experience for me to spend even more time with the players and hang out with them and get to know them and their families more at, at dinners and gatherings and, and get togethers. And uh, we're looking forward to it. You know, it's, it's an amazing opportunity, really. When you consider, uh, you know, you look at the top 15, 20, 25 players on our uh, points list right now. And you just go player for player and you start to consider each player's story to get to this point, to get to the PGA Tour, to get to playing full-time in America, playing in the majors. 
You know, you, you start to look at guys like Hideki Matsuyama from Japan, or you look at Louis Oesteisen's story, or you look at Johnny Vegas' story, or, uh, you know, kids who grew up in South Africa or mm-hmm. Australia. You know, when you're growing up in these faraway places from the USA, and you fall in love with the game of Your call has been forwarded. Hello. Oops, lost you there. Oh um, boy. So how no, do you want to do this? No problem. Just go. Um, just pick it up where you said where these guys grew up a long ways from the United States. Let me know when you're ready. Yep. Good. Yep. Go ahead. So when you start to understand all the different stories of how these players grew up outside of U.S., uh, whether it be from any corner of the globe, uh, it, it really is fascinating to start to understand that. And I think when you tell those stories to people, uh, they're really going to appreciate it. And as a kid that grows up outside of the U.S., and you, fall, you decide that this is what you want to do for a living. This is your passion. You want to play against the best. And that means coming to play on the PGA Tour. And so for any of these guys, including myself in this situation, to have the opportunity to be able to play a President's Cup here in the U.S. at a great course like Quail Hollow, at a big sporting city like Charlotte, North Carolina, against this American team that just had a record win against the Europeans in the Ryder Cup, you know, that, those are the opportunities you dream of mm. as a child. And so I think, you know, that's the mindset that our guys are going into this with. We understand we're gigantic, massive uh, and massive underdogs. And you just look at the history of this tournament and you look at the way that the Americans played at Whistling Straits. But like I said, this is, this is what you dream of as an athlete. This is that chance to to take on the, the 16 and 0 Patriots or to take on any of these great teams that have had amazing runs. You know, this is like taking on Alabama. Right. And so this is what you want as an athlete. This is it. How good are you? You try and measure yourself against the best. So, so uh, we're looking forward to that opportunity and uh, it, it's going to be an awesome week. Everybody involved with the planning um, of this President's Cup, all those meetings that I've been involved with, this is going to be the greatest President's Cup by far. Yep. It is going to be an amazing build-out. It's going to be supported mm. better than what we've ever seen from any President's Cup. And, you know, if Mother Nature plays along and we get some good weather, it's going to be a spectacle. There's no doubt about it. 
and uh, then it'll be up to these 24 golfers from all over the world to bring their best stuff. And uh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. What's interesting is that you brought up the Ryder Cup. Of course, the Americans, you know, finally, I guess, put that one behind them. And they needed to come out and, you know, win that as the Europeans were certainly getting the upper hand. But I said this before the Ryder Cup, and I'll say it again now. I, I think in the next four to six years, you look at the talent that is out there in the rest of the world that is on your points list that you were referring to and will be on your team, much of them, is I, I, I think the international team could, could really become now the more competitive team and the stronger team and the deeper team than we're going to see from Ryder Cup as a lot of these veterans over the years that have been so good start to filter out. I, you have a number of really talented and, and young players. You look at the field just this week and who's in the field. You have 13 players there, uh, which is 33% of the field. You got Matsuyama, Answer, Sung J.M., Cameron Smith, Leishman, Grace, Cage Lee, Eric Van Royen, Siwoo Kim, Cameron Davis, Garrick Higo, who I love, Lucas Herbert, and, uh, and, and Matt Jones. There's 23 Americans, and there's three European players. Now, these are just form, These are just the winners. I get that. But you're well stated here. 33% of the field, I look at your guys' youth. Um, I look at your team. I, I think the international team is coming on, and I think it's going to be stronger than Europe in the Ryder Cup for the next four to six years. Well, I mean, I, look, I have a ton of respect for the European team and what they've been able to accomplish at the Ryder Cup really has been quite incredible, mm -hmm. what they've been able to do since the mid-'80s and how they've been able to come together as a team and perform uh, so beautifully and win the Ryder Cup so often. Uh, but yeah, look, they they had a tough time there in Whistling Straits, and the, the American team played to their full potential and were were dominant. Uh, but yeah, we're we're a, we are a young team. Even if you look back at 2019, we had seven rookies out of the 12 players, and we were the youngest team ever in the history of the Presidents Cup. And I think that's going to continue. Uh, you know, you touched on a, a number of those players, but we got young, some youngsters coming through as well. We got this kid. From Japan to Kumi Kanaya, who's only been a pro a short period. He's already 50th in the world rankings. So it's going to be interesting to watch his progress in the next year or so as he comes and starts to play in the biggest tournaments. Christian Beseda notes, Minwoo Lee. You know, these are names you start to throw in with the Neemans and the M's and the Cam Smiths and all these guys that are in their mid to early 20s. So it's an exciting time for us. And, uh, we, you know, we have a, a massive hurdle to overcome from a, a standpoint of bringing all these different cultures together and languages together and, and being able to communicate and operate as one. Uh, but those are the sort of things that we're working on, not just for this President's Cup, but for future President's Cups. We, we don't want to get our asses kicked every time. We want to turn this thing into a, a real competition. Uh, that the Americans really need to focus on. And so we're trying to make all the correct moves, like I said, not just for, for Quail Hollow, but for future President's Cups. We're all in on this. We love the opportunity, like I said to you earlier. And uh, the only way this, this really becomes a rivalry is if we start to compete well and win a few of them. And the players are well aware of that, because only so much I can do as a captain. I can 
take care of all the bits and bobs and make sure these guys are, are put in a position to where they don't have to worry any, about anything and they can just go out there and compete. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're the ones, and they understand that. They're the ones with that clubs in their hand and all the talent in the world, and they've got to go out there and, and create a massive upset. So uh, what did you say? 259 days. <laughs> yeah, we're, on countdown. We're, yeah. we're on the countdown. We're on the countdown. But, you know, for me, been extremely uh, fun and proud last year or so as I've taken up this role as captain. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, to leading these guys into battle and, and seeing, seeing what they can come up with there for four days in September. All right, last question. You're a Masters champ. There's a Masters dinner leading up to the event every week. Um, I can only imagine what that's like, sitting that at that table, rubbing shoulders with all the guys that have won the Masters over the years. You got you had Dustin Johnson, of course, won it back in 2020. So the last dinner was what DJ served. And then Tiger, of course, his historic win in 19, Patrick Reed in 18, Sergio in 17, and on down the list. You got a story from us for a one of these one of these dinners that we can I'll marvel at and think about, geez, because we're never going to win the Masters. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of good stories. Look, I mean, that that dinner is special. The word special doesn't really even do it justice to, you know, for somebody like me that's grown up in the corner of Africa and fell in love with this game and watched the Masters at two in the morning as a, as a six-year-old uh, and, and, you know, down in, in South Africa, just saying, man, that's what I want to do. I want to go play the Masters. I want to play at Augusta National. Uh, for me to be able to be sitting in that room, there's many moments throughout that dinner where I kind of sit back and pinch myself and, and can't believe the situation that I found myself in. But there, there's been a, a number of, since my first dinner in 2009, there's been a number of, it's just incredible moments. Uh, I think back to the last dinner that Arnold Palmer attended, and um, you know it was it was almost like he knew it. He stood up and, and gave a speech, which uh, wasn't normal. He didn't didn't normally do that, uh, but you sort of got the impression that he knew that that could be his last one, and he decided to stand up and speak to us for about ten minutes, and it was just. It was surreal. It was incredible. And the whole room was pretty much in tears. Uh, you know, things like that that jump out. It's, 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 it's how you see guys and champions being authentic. I remember when, when Tiger hosted the dinner uh, in 2020, uh, how emotional he was explaining that, you know, there were moments uh, in years prior where he wasn't sure if he would be able to play golf again. And then all of a sudden, he's able to come back and he wins his fifth green jacket in 2019. And you could just feel the, uh, oh, wow, it, 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 it was amazing. You could feel his pain and his happiness mm. at the same moment. You could feel the pain of wondering and 
if he would ever be able to play again and compete again and the pain of the surgeries and the rehab and you know goodness even knows like the mental stuff an athlete goes through when you know all of a sudden the one thing that they've always done in their lives could be taken away and so you as he was speaking you could feel all of that and then you could also feel the relief and joy at the fact that he overcame all of that and won his fifth green jacket that was a surreal moment and then on the flip side you have moments like with dj who was exactly how you would expect him to be he was just nonchalant and calm and a man of few words but the words he used made everybody laugh and put everybody at ease and so yeah it, it, it's it's really an incredible few hours to where you get to see inside the soul of these guys that you watch week in and week out on on uh, on the tour and uh yeah i just you know you talk about the 259 days to the president's cup i got you know i count down the days to that dinner as well because <laughs> it is it is something that is just absolutely amazing well that's less than 100 that's all i got for you so you're uh <laughs> there you go <laughs> it's um it's getting close trevor you've been um You've been great. I, I really appreciate it. And I enjoy listening to you on uh, TV, of course, uh, Golf Channel and CBS. And all the best this year and in particularly best of luck in the President's Cup when we get there. But we got a lot of golf to be played uh, beforehand. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always appreciate your insight to all of that. So thanks for joining us here on the podcast. No problem. Thanks, Travis. Had a blast.